Hi, welcome to another episode of the TK Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Alex, and for this episode, I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy. In this episode, we have our second view on how to prepare for an ethically underrepresented workforce and the impacts of a culturally aware leader. Our special guest for this podcast is Colin, a chief technologist at Computer Center with over 20 years experience in the IT industry. I entered this episode not sure what to expect, but Colin's experience and industry knowledge left me in deep thought and in awe of his success. This is an episode that you will want to listen to again. So wherever you are, grab a notebook and a pen and enjoy the TK podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the TK podcast. I am one of your hosts, Alex, and I am joined by Jill on this episode. Hi, Jill. Hi there, Alex. Doing? Great, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. good. Really good and really excited um, for this episode. We have someone who's really senior within Computer Center and is going to be able to share a lot of insight and knowledge on the on today's topic. So introducing himself, Colin. Hi, Colin. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Colin Williams, Business Line CTO for Computer Centre UK. It's great to be here. Yes, and brilliant to have you on the podcast, Colin. Um, so today we're focusing on the topic of how to prepare for an ethically underrepresented workforce and the impacts that culturally aware leaders need to take. So Colin, um, I'm keen to know about the setup at Computer Centre um, regarding its workforce and, and, and how it's tried to develop over the years and over time. Okay, sounds good. Um, so most of my commentary will be about Computer Centre UK because I, I work in the UK organisation, even though Computer Centre is a global organisation with substantial presence in Germany and the USA and around mainland Europe. Um, but in the UK, we've been on our own journey. Um, the, the UK country unit is one of the largest elements in Computer Centre. Um, it is a diverse workforce, but we've got work to do, uh, like many organisations. Um, we are a service and solutions provider, so assume that we're a big IT player in the IT space. Um, from a reselling point of view, from a service delivery point of view, and main services, which means a lot of our workforce is either engineering, technical, um, sales individuals, uh, front of house, selling to customers, or some form of services or customer services person um, that's part of the keeping the machine running. Mm. Uh, and so we've got a mix of individuals that underpin Computer Centre. Um, and so we decided to go on our own journey. Um, if I'm honest, we've been on this journey a while. So we originally started this um, diversity and inclusion journey a good few years ago, underpinned by hiring a DNI. Um, leader. So that's my first tip to everybody. If you're going to do this, get a point person. It's really, really hard to do this if you haven't got somebody who's on point as DNI manager, DNI lead, um, because that person will get out of bed every day and, and live the story. Yeah. So as soon as we did that, we actually got some focus um, and we kicked off with gender initially. Um, and so we um, put together programs to advance women through Computer Centre because they were an underrepresented group at senior levels. That program worked really, really well. And it's now a enduring sustainable program in computer center and, and colin what does that well, mean it's worked really well i mean what's some of the tangible yeah. impacts you've had on that that gender okay, diversity so strand good question so the first thing is it's it's a topic that's visible right so prior to prior to doing it the topic of underrepresentation in the female workforce at senior leadership levels um and dare i say it, not even senior leadership levels but just um with an aspiration to further a career mm. with with real purpose um 
that probably didn't have the same level of resonance that it has now. So now a, a, a woman in computer center absolutely knows that there are no obstacles to a, a senior position mm. based on capability. Um, and there's no barriers or hidden barriers in relation to um, gender stereotypes. Now, I can't say they were previously, but you you don't know about these things unless you put an initiative around. Yeah. And, and the, the value of it now is we've seen a significant amount of females in senior leadership roles that arguably may not have been there um, without a programmatic activity to develop their skills, develop confidence, make them visible as potential candidates for future roles. And then when the roles come along, make sure they have the right coaching and and techniques to make sure they secure the role. Um, yeah. you know, it's pointless just going for the role and almost believing that you're not going to get the role as soon as you sit down. So all of that work was a, a development program. It was almost like a programmatic way of coaching, mentoring, skills acquisition um, to you know, signpost a number of leaders for the future, um, nominated either by themselves or by their line managers to go on a program um, with mentors, with additional coaching. And, and that's proved to be a very, very beneficial program in Computer Centre. Great. So, so, so basically, you know, you're putting there some additional focus on there, forcing it from leadership, making it into something that's programmatic and trackable. Actually, that's helped yeah. us get results when it comes to gender diversity, yeah, gender progression, within CC, which is amazing. So well done. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier, actually, you know, we might be a player in the IT industry. I think anybody listening to this who comes from the IT industry knows quite how big Computer Centre is. So, yeah, no need to want to sell yourself, I would say. But Significant. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess you, you proved the concept there when it comes to gender, which is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, how has that then evolved into what we're looking at from a race perspective? Good question. Good question. Um, ethnicity... Um, might not have been next on the list. We didn't really have a, pr- a formal list to say, um, in relation to inclusion and diversity, we're going to slowly tick off a number of minority groups. Um, but sadly, um, the situation that we all talk, talk an awful lot about in 2020 um, forced us to have a bit of a wake-up call. So um, around the time of the George Floyd um, sad murder, um, we had an internal conversation to say, what do we do as computer centre? Do we make an external statement um, or do we actually make a internal change that's going to have enduring and lasting impact in computer centre and the broader industry? Uh, so we chose the latter. Right? Um, it would have been easy to pop out a paragraph on the website to say it's really, really terrible to see these atrocities across the world. Um, but now we put together our first EIG, um, so Employee Impact Group. Uh, I think they're also called Employee Resource Groups. Um, and we'd never done it before, so we, we learned on the job. Um, and with the support of our CEO, MD, head of DNI, our chief people officer, and it may, I'm, I'm going to come back to that because without that sort of support, these things just don't work. Yeah. Um, but we had full support to do whatever was required to put, to put together a program uh, to ensure that ethnic minority individuals in Computer Centre were better represented, had a voice, um, had this, a similar level of uh, additional development coaching and you know, m- mentoring um, aligned to the same program that we had in gender, um, and also to make sure Computer Centre outside showed up differently. Mm. Um, for an outsider looking into Computer Centre, um, a very traditional IT uh, employer, 40 years in the industry, so let's say the demographic is representative of an IT reseller with that level of time. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to make sure the external persona of Computer Centre was representative of this new Computer Centre that we wanted to radiate to all. 
So the EIG was kicked off um, with a number of like-minded individuals. And was that your first step, Colin? It was our first first true EIG. First true EIG. Really interesting, Colin, because we're going to be talking about ERGs at some point in the future. And actually, we've spoken about, it could be, you know, how you get them up and running, you know, how you get kind of, you know, mind share and everything else. And for you, for that to be your first step, I'd say that's quite a big one. I don't know what you think, Alex, but, you know, they are kind of getting these going can be quite tricky. So it's quite interesting that that's the first place that you went, I guess, from a programmatic standpoint. I don't know, is that how you- I'm glad you called out to all that it's, it's hard, because it's hard. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've had this conversation with internal and external people. We've got a number of them now. That was the first main one, but we've got a number of them now uh, in other areas. But to anybody listening to this podcast, um, putting together an EIG is not easy. Um, it requires senior leadership um, support, whether that's financial, whether that's um, additional guidance, whether that's just support. In other words, we're going to give you the empowered position to make things happen. Without that, it's hard and it takes a lot of time. Um, When you're forming any new team and you've got the dynamics of a team and you've got the fact that you're doing it as a extracurricular volunteering activity aligned to your your normal day job, um, it's it's hard to get off the ground. Mm. Um, The rewards of doing it outweigh the time you put in and sometimes the sleepless nights that you've you've got when you put in so much work yeah. um because if you do it right and if you have an organization that's not doing it for a tick box and is doing it to to drive long-term enduring change you'll see the impact of it you'll hear the impact of it you'll see people leaning into it to be part of it and the employees who might have been oblivious to these things happening all of a sudden can see something tangible happening in the organization that they can tap into or buy into and, and that's the experience that we've had, but under no illusion, it's not easy to kick off. Yeah. So, so I'd, I'd, I'd like to get into the nitty gritty of um, that beginning, the beginning aspect of the ERG, because yeah. what I would expect is that you've now got this set of people who all agree to follow the same cause, but are not quite sure how to do it. Yeah. And from my understanding of what an ERG is, this is not their day job. This They're going above and beyond what they're awesome. doing. If if I'm a business and I'm in that position right now, um, what are the things that they should implement from the get go to say, okay, this is how you're going to be able to be efficient in the long term? That's an absolutely wonderful question, and there's no perfect answer. Sorry to give you the bad news on that one. Um, if you have a DNI specialist, it helps. Um, we were fortunate that we'd recruited uh, a DNI lead. Because that person has the main, the main experience, the main understanding of the topic. Mm. The rest of us didn't really have an understanding of the topic. And they also benefit from having an understanding of the structure or the fabric required to put together something like that. Do they have all the answers? Of course they don't. But at least they give you some of the foundations. But your point is well made. Um, all of us, DNI lead included, we're learning. Um, the key thing is that there, there, are, there are fundamentals of building teams. And they exist regardless of the team that you're building, whether it's a football team or an EIG. Um, the key thing is to make sure you select the right people. I can't stress that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, if you select the wrong people, it's going to fail. If you select the right people, and by the right people, I mean they have to truly believe in the cause. They have to be truly emotionally invested in the cause. And it can't be for any personal gain. Uh, this is a real altruistic activity. They're doing it for the greater good. They're doing it for something um, that hopefully will surpass their existence in the organisation. So whatever you do, make sure you select somebody who absolutely is in it for all the right reasons, because to your point, they're going to have to go above and beyond their normal day job yeah. to make it happen. 
and there's no additional time that you can apply. You just got to factor into your day job. Um, in addition to that, um, let's say rigor helps. Um, one thing that we did quite early is that we actually put down some real foundations and some frameworks and structure. How are we going to meet? Um, how often do we meet? When we meet, what do we do? How do we track activities? Uh, what does good look like as an outcome? Mm. Um, how can we put together a number of domains, each with a lead, and the lead is responsible for making sure that domain happens? So, for example, the education domain, the external impact domain, the speak freely domain, in other words, how do we make sure people have an internal voice, yeah. recruitment, all those domains, and you can choose your own domain. There's no exact science that says the right domains to have in your EIG, but the key thing is um, give everybody, you know, give your, you know, nominate a number of leads. So we actually nominated uh, almost like a steering group. That was the main group. Mm. Each member of the steering group had one of those major domains. They then secured an awful lot of like-minded volunteers, equally volunteering above and beyond. Um, again, with the same investment in the cause, uh, not a tick box. Yeah. So when you do that, and that means everybody who's involved is involved for the right reasons. Um, no one's actually looking for any external validation of their activity. They're doing it because it should be done. They're doing it because they actually believe mm. it's the right thing for the organization. Then your EIG will work for all the right reasons. Yeah. Um, and and that's I can't stress that enough. There's no there's no magic wand. There's no secret science. Yeah, yeah, and and it sounds like with that rigor, that commitment, people who are passionate. You know, you've had two years to go through the growing pains, getting it right. And, and what does that look like two years on? What are some of the successes that that you've had? Yeah, we've had we've had a lot of good successes. So we've done um, one of the most significant things we did was one of those quadrants was called Speak Freely, um, because one of the biggest challenges that any organisation has with any sensitive topic, race, mm. disability, um, LBGDQ+, all those topics that people just don't want to talk about, um, they are challenging to discuss. So Speak Freely was our way to say, um, it's safe to talk here yeah. and we'll create safe spaces for you to, to talk or to listen and learn um, or to speak without any prejudice or to speak without any fear of reprisal. Um, one of the most common things that we hear, and it's often from leaders, is I don't know what to say. I'm too scared to say the wrong thing, mm. so I better just say nothing at all. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to go the opposite way. We wanted everyone to talk. We wanted it to no longer be a taboo subject. So the Speak Freely team um, did an awful lot of work around regular, almost open mic type sessions where everybody, regardless of seniority, regardless of role, could, could jump onto a call and know that all topics were on the table. Mm. Nothing was off the table. And there was no, there's no, no, at no point would anyone judge you because you were clumsy in your wording. Yeah. So it's quite a nice way to describe it, actually, because it is that you're tripping over yourself sometimes, aren't you? You yeah. see our allies yeah. really trying hard, but you know, you're building yeah. the muscle, aren't you, around what yeah. to say, how to say it, how to be sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that was fantastic. That's fantastic. We're very proud of that because it's something that um, has been enduring through the last couple of years. Um, we also did a different type of version of that about a couple of weeks ago where we actually had a number of rooms in our offices uh, and somebody could come into that room and there were people from the EIG in that room and they could ask any topic about anything yeah. um, and so we actually had people who previously had been too scared to broach certain topics but because they knew it was safe to walk in yeah. and effectively just ask that taboo thing uh, and so again we had you know the the additional openness that we've got in this topic has been rewarding. Um, we did a big program on allyship um, because allyship's a very important thing. Uh, and so we did um, 
one-to-one and one-to-many allyship broadcasts. A, to make people aware of the topic. Uh, B, to make them aware that they probably been an ally and didn't realise. Uh, and C, to make more people lean forward and realise that allyship is something that we can all do and we can all benefit from. Yeah. Um, and training. We made a point of um, ensuring that there was some formal training, um, especially to our senior leaders. Mm. So we actually went through a a five-module training programme for our senior leadership team, uh, sponsored by our country MD. Um, and that was around things like unconscious bias, microaggressions, um, inclusion and belonging, um, how do you recruit in the right way? And has that filled out to the rest of organisations, some of that training around? So, so, so it's available to the broader organisation, but, you know, crazily, the pilot, we did the pilot with the most senior people in, in, the, in the country unit because we almost wanted to make sure if they went through the programme uh, and, more importantly, they absorbed the teachings of the programme, they'll cascade it by their own behaviour. Mm, so that was the, that's the reason why they were the first cohort um, and now we've actually um, changed the program around a little bit, um, learned from it, as you always do with these programs, and we're going to make it available in, in different form, um, slightly easier to consume to a broader audience. Okay. But, but look, I mean, that all sound, sounds great. And I think we know how just how important leadership is in, you know, if they say, say it's important culturally, you know, that starts to make a difference. And actually, as you say, it permeates through the business, which is, is what we need for real change. I guess changing stack to emphasis slightly, Colin, I mean, it'd be great to understand your your role in, in all of this. And maybe just a little bit more about, about you and your history at CC, because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you've been there one or two years, right? Um, you can tell us if it's slightly couple. different. <laughs> yeah, a couple. Um, so I'm um, probably 30 years in the IT industry, um, which is a scary number. Um, so I've seen the, I'd say, I'd say I've seen the, the bad, and the good and bits more, a few more bits of bad and, and now the better. Um, because the original IT industry um, wasn't really ethnically diverse. So whether that's ethnic minorities, whether that's females, um, it wasn't at all. Um, so I, I do remember in the early days, um, probably being the only person who looked like me um, in, in very, very large IT forums or IT gatherings. Um, and, and it was noticeable. Uh, it really was. And it was noticeable, I'm guessing, for the first decade, decade and a half of my employer. Um, it's improved significantly in the last decade, um, but it's still nowhere near perfect. Um, if you look at somebody, ethnic minority, whether it's female or whether it's ethnic, um, black uh, or other minority groups in senior leadership roles in IT organisations, they're on the ground. Mm. Um, so I've been through... Um, Numerous roles. Um, it's a mixture. So I've been involved in some sales leadership roles, but most of my roles have always been leading technical practices. Um, so right now I'm a CTO and computer centre, but I've always either built or led technical teams. Um, so I've seen uh, the the workforce in its in its best form. I used to go out of my way to recruit um, women into teams because I'm a dad of two daughters. I'm a brother of two sisters. Mm. So I've always championed the calls that. Um, a woman shouldn't um, see obstacles in, in front of her um, based on gender. Um, you should be judged based on your capability and your output and your value. It shouldn't be your packaging that determines whether or not you're the right citizen for somebody. Yeah. So, so I've always built teams and, and almost gone out of my way, probably from a positive discrimination point of view, to ensure um, there were women represented in the team. Crazily, and it sounds mad to say it, I probably didn't do that 
from an ethnic minority point of view. I didn't go out of my way to positively, um, you know, uh, benefit or encourage ethnic representation. I didn't do mm. that. Um, I did it for women, but I didn't do it for ethnic minorities in the broader what? sense. And thinking about it now, I don't, I don't know why I did, didn't. Mm. Um, I think probably at the time, even for somebody who's been around as long as me, even at that time, I was probably semi-conditioned to that being the norm, right? The norm for me was how it was. And, and I didn't, I probably didn't believe I was empowered to do anything about it. Wow. Um, and, and crazily, this is probably the first time I'm, I'm even reflecting on this right now, because I didn't, yeah. I didn't actually, I've recruited the right person based on capability. And I've always done that. Um, I, when some of my best hires were people that actually didn't have IT expertise, mm. but they had the right emotional characteristics, the right aptitude, the right behavioral characteristics. And so I knew they had the right fabric to be the best person for the role. Yeah. The fact they didn't come from IT. So I always recruited that way. Um, but I did actually go out of my way to say, if there was a female candidate in the pool, I would make a point of encouraging them to put themselves forward. They would still have to get the role on merit, but I would encourage them to put themselves forward. And I might have actually put in the work beforehand to work with them to make sure they believe they were ready and equipped to apply for the role. I didn't do that um, for other minority groups, uh, maybe as I say, because I didn't realise that's probably what I should have done. Do you, do you think, um, and, and, and that's great insight, thank, and thank you for being so honest, but I want you to ask, do you think it's because there just wasn't people from that background really applying for those jobs? Do you think yeah. it's because it was a small percentage? Because when I hear you say that and, you, I, and I can hear you feel sort of bad for not doing that, it, yeah. I, I guess there's always another side to it, right? I mean, yeah, how, yeah. how many people did you really um, interview that were, were from, from your background? If yeah, from, from memory, I'm sure you could probably count it to be less than, yeah. than than one hand or maybe two. I think you've got your spot on. Um, you know, I, I touched on earlier on that I was one of few back then. Um, and so there was almost none mm. who'd come through a door um, recruiting. So I, I suppose that saves me a bit. But but then again, I, um, I've always mentored and coached people. So I don't really care what colour, creed, gender. Um, orientation you are. Um, if you're somebody who wants to be the best version of you, then we'll, we'll work together and we'll make that happen. Um, but I think you've called it way back when there just weren't enough um, minority group individuals. There were no um, gay individuals, really. Yeah. Um, there well, were few females. Yeah, true. Um, the hidden figures, right? Yeah. Um, there were few people who would highlight their disability you know, hidden disabilities, dyslexia, autism, mm. that few people, would, no one would highlight those things. Um, this whole topic of DNI was a taboo topic. Yeah. No one talked, no one discussed this. That's, that's the mm. biggest thing. So I think you're spot on. There were, there were the, the, the inbound stream of people who looked like me wasn't really there. Um, even though I knew externally, people did actually say to me, we're happy that you're doing what you're doing and we're happy mm. that you're there because you're one of us and you're there. Um, it's, it's back to that, you can't be, you can't see. Exactly. And, 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 I think, and your honesty is in, in, incredible. I think it's really enlightening, you know, and also fascinating in that, you know, you can talk so eloquently around gender and all the deliberate and the positive discrimination that went on to improve mm. that within our industry. And actually it's only now, you know, you've been in the industry three decades. Um, but it's only now they're actually be talking about the same kind of deliberate action when it comes to race, disability, yeah. you know, and, and all of the other groups that aren't represented in our industry. Yeah. And it just goes to show, I think, that 
that the change used to happen because you used a great phrase, which was maybe I was conditioned, you know, not even, yeah. even myself, right? As being part of the community and knowing that I was a role model. Um, and it just shows just how hard it is, right? I mean, change change doesn't come overnight. And we've, you know, we've seen, I think yeah. gender is a good example of how as an industry, we know when we put the effort in, the focus in, not as an individual, but as an industry, you can make a difference. Mm. And I think ethnicity, yeah. I'm really hoping that give it, however long it might take, you know, when there's yeah. systemic challenges, it's not going to happen in two months, is it? But, um, you know, in years to come, we'll be having the same conversation around, I remember when, you know, what we talk about. Yeah. Oh, so, 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 so I think it'd be better. I, I still don't think it'd be seismic because society, society still has issues, right? Um, and this is purely a representation of society. Now, society is also acknowledging that something needs to change. And in reality, it's the generations that are coming now that are deciding that. Yeah. Um, if you go to a school, um, you know, my daughter's told me many a time that some of the behaviour that was the norm in my school is not tolerated. You you can't bully somebody because of their orientation or the school will turn on you. Um, That's the opposite in my day. In my day, that person who was different was the person who was bullied. So I think the generations that are coming next will not stand for a society that's not inclusive yep. and in society, a society doesn't allow someone to be the best version of their individualized self the best version of their authentic true self um and i, I think that's helping the current generation and the generations behind to wake up and go okay uh, maybe we've got something to learn from those younger individuals um who mm. are educating us uh, that our way may not have been the right way yeah um so i don't think it will be a quick change but i think it will be a change um, because future generations won't accept it and maybe this generation at least is starting the change uh, and they can benefit from it as well so so I, I i wanted to i wanted to ask about actually let me frame this differently right um let's go back in time to the first day um that you started um, within the industry if you could give a message to that person um, mm. for them to be able to succeed and get to the position that you're in now, what 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 would you say to them? What do you think would be the key key aspects that they would need to take? Um, apart from make sure your pension's good and buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> That's very advice, I like it. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that the the advice is different because the time is different. Uh, way back then, that person was trying to survive. Wow. Now that person will be trying to thrive. That's the difference. That's a massive difference. Um, I'd expect that individual today to believe that they have value to add to the organization and the organization is almost lucky to have them walk through a door because the potential they have is going to be immense. So the organization gets value. So they almost walk in thinking, you know what? I've chosen, chosen you as much as you selected me. You're the lucky ones. Yeah. Way back then, it was all about survival. Um, how can I make sure that I work 10 times harder than the people next to me who don't look like me uh, just to make sure that I can be seemed to belong? Um, I wasn't really belonging. Um, I was just making sure that my work output was so significant no one could fire me or no one could find a reason why that different person mm. isn't doing the job. Um, and you'll often find that for, when you speak to people of my generation, that's why they ended up working so extraordinarily hard just to stand still yeah. and i mean i'm talking about extraordinary amounts of work just to stand still it wasn't all of that work was going to be contributory to your um 
um, advancement through the organization based on merit or based on value or contribution. No, it wasn't that. You were working extraordinarily hard just to remain level. Um, that person now, no. I'd expect to walk in and say, um, person who's recruited me, I'm actually targeting your job. Uh, and the person above you, I'm targeting their job as well. And I absolutely have a, a belief that regardless of how I look, I, I if I work hard enough, um, if I absorb the right teachings and if I radiate the right persona, I should be there as well. Way back then, in my head, at no point did I believe that I could get to a senior role on merit. At no point did I believe that. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think what you're touching on there is really that, um, you, that covering uh, around our identity, a little bit, you know, of imposter syndrome, thinking that you know we've we've absolutely got to, got to be better than perfect, you know, to use to use mm. a phrase, almost whiter than white, right, as it were, yeah. almost to, to be on a par with our peers. And and it's something actually that we will touch on in another podcast as we move forward, because it's such an important topic. Um, yeah, sadly, mm. I won't ask you now, Colin, I'm sure you've got loads of views on it. But yeah, time-wise, it, it maybe won't work. But look, I guess just to bring it back before before we finish, um, you've given us such a, you know, a lovely overview of what, you know, first of all, yourself and your experiences, so thank you. But also, of course, you know, the journey that Computer Centre have been on over the past couple of years and previous years around DNI. You know, I guess what, you know, we uh, as listeners and me and Alex would love to hear is just about what does the future look like? You know, what, what plans have you got for the coming couple of years or few years that you really want to see make a difference when it comes to race? Yeah, so um, the good news, um, a lot of the stuff that we're doing and we, we we almost had a little pact as an EIG um, and our pact was our activities have to be enduring um, and we're actually building a program of activity and we're driving change that's going to outlast all of our current employment in computer centre so we were building something not for now we're building it for next and beyond and we're already seeing that um, we're seeing a lot of the stuff that we have put together cascading across the group um, and, and we absolutely hope anyone who sees anything that's good steals with pride um, because a better computer centre in this topic everywhere is the best computer centre it can be. Um, as you well know, um, um, computer centre is part of TCAR, um, which, full disclosure, um, five years ago, I would have been surprised if computer centre had been part of a group like that. Not for any negative reasons, it's just because the topic wasn't a priority topic in the agenda. Um, you know, culturally, it still would have been something we believed in. But from an activity point of view, in other words, somebody stepping forward and getting involved, maybe we probably didn't have the structure or the vehicle um, or the human capital to do it. Um, but now um, we're not only happy to be a part of TCARE um, with colleagues like yourselves, um, we'd like to be a passionate part of TCARE because we'd like to see the change that we are um, driving in Computer Centre become the same change and become the norm in the IT community. Um, because um, if one organization happens to have a wonderful DNI persona, that isn't enough. Yeah. It should be the norm across the board. Um, now it's happy, it's okay to have exemplars that show the way to others, but our job uh, as someone like um, Computer Center being such a large organization, our job with our reach, with our resonance, with our weight, with our power, um, with the impact of things that we do, uh, working with um, others with a similar level of magnitude in the industry um, is that is the only way we're, we're really going to drive change. Um, so 
What do I see in the future? I see more initiatives like the ones that we're doing with TCAP. Um, I see more organisations leading forward. It shouldn't always just be, um, you know, someone needs to drag you in. You need to lean forward as well. Mm. You need to raise your own flag and say, I'd like to get involved. Please show me how. Please show me the way. Can I borrow from you? Can I steal with pride? So I'd love to see more organisations leading forward. Um, and I'd love to see if we had this conversation in five years' time, I'd like to see from a representation point of view, things have changed tangibly. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of background activity happening right now, but if you look to most people's organisation charts, so it doesn't look any different. Mm. Um, if you look to the stats that organisations publish, it doesn't look any different. Yeah. Now, maybe that's because we are at base camp one, but in five years time or 10 years time, I'd expect to see those all charts with different faces on them. Yeah. I'd expect to see those stats with a different shift in the numbers. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with the fact that we're starting now and we're starting with some real urgency and I can see that urgency across the board. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Um, but I'd equally like to pick up the pace and, and make sure some of our changes really are impactful. So anyone who's looking in from the outside can say, I can see different, I can feel different. Um, so now I'm okay with the fact that things look like they're about to change. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. Brilliant. I've got no doubt we'll get there. Well, look, we'll hold you to that five years time conversation, right? And uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, as, a, as a sector, well, we won't get rid of you. I know you're like, Colin, it's fine. <laughs> you, you'll be jumping at the door. But, um, you know, I, I think thinking about that accountability, you know, and legally, let's hope that things have changed that make it better so we can track mm. actually kind of who works for our organisation and how that has changed over time. But, you know, what I really heard from that, Colin, was responsibility. There is a responsibility on us all yeah. to lean in, especially when we're at companies that have got that, you know, that larger weight, more employees, that name in the in the sector to really make change. So, yeah, when the legalities don't stand there, I think we've got to do it anyway, right? So, look, uh, that's brilliant. And thank you so much for your input. Fantastic. Uh, thank you both for, again for this wonderful podcast. Um, uh, pleased to be part of it. Um, and as you, as you rightly say, let's make sure we get this done. Yeah, and, and, and thank you for taking part in being on the podcast as well, Colin. You really do appreciate your insights and your your depth of knowledge from your experience within the industry. I think a lot of our listeners have been jotting down quite a few notes and they, they've really been able to take a lot of uh, information. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you from yourself. Um, unfortunately, that's, that's all we've got time for today. So um, if you could please support us by following us on socials, we are on LinkedIn. You've got YouTube where you can consume the podcast as well as Spotify and other media outlets. Um, thank you, Joe, as well, for being an amazing host as well um, and, and, and really getting the information that, that, that we need. But for our listeners, thank you for listening. And we really appreciate you being on this journey with us. And until next time, you've been listening to the TK Podcast and take care. Cheers, all. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to hearing your thoughts. So please continue the dialogue on socials. To stay updated on when we release the next episode, follow us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at TC4RE. And don't forget to check our website at www.tcare.org for more information and content on today's topics.